Hey guys, this is Marcel from the Pickup Radio. Today I want to bring to you Nick Koster. Nick Koster is one of the co-founders of BrainMates together with his wife uh, Adrian Tan. BrainMates is one of those companies who are not very big but very very professional and their special field is product management. And today we talk about the evolution of this role, product management, what it means in a company when you start um, scaling up and the CEO can't be the product manager as well anymore. I might guess here a bit, but I know that a couple of my uh, students that come to visual facilitation class and that uh, learn about Picablo in general are actually in a, in a requirements gathering role or in a business analysis role. In this interview, I take myself into the role of a business analyst and ask, how can I become a product manager? What does it take to be that person and what do I have to learn on the way? Being on that journey alone is quite challenging. It's much better to catch up with your mates and having someone that has the same challenges than you have. I want to highlight the conference that BrainMates runs. It's once a year in Sydney and Melbourne. It's called Leading the Product and it's this year on the 20th of October in Melbourne and on the 25th in Sydney. Check out the conference website leadingtheproduct.com and I hope you enjoy this episode with Nick Koster from BrainMates. Nick, thank you very much for joining me on the Picable Radio. It's my pleasure. Absolutely great to be here. Um, so we are here in Sydney right now in BrainMates office and um, in the middle of a class around us it's everything visualized. We see emotion figures of Picab around us and it's so great to run the training with, with BrainMates here in, in Sydney. And um, for me important to, um, when I work with partners, to, to introduce them a bit um, to the audience because when you work with visualization they, they look for other things around Picablo. Can you describe a bit what BrainMates is about? Certainly. Um, BrainMates is a, a, a BrainMates is a, a product management and training organization. Um, we're passionate about really helping uh, product managers in the whole product development process. We work with large organizations, small organizations, and also different industries as they develop their products and services. We've been running our business now for over 12 years, and so we've worked with a huge array of different clients from uh, medical devices to media to online services and all sorts of different products and, and types. So different to many other companies who are like specialized in one field, you have done product management in a big variety of the industry around for 12 years. Yep, very, broad, very yeah. broad and uh, very diverse companies. Yeah. Yet the, the interesting thing is that when you kind of peel away the, the thinking of product management, um, it's actually not about the product despite the name. It's all about the customer and the market that you're serving. And that's where we find that unifying thinking that can be applied to any product or service or any organization. Yeah. All right, before we go back to that, let's uh, dig a bit deeper into that. Sure. Nick, um, who are you? And maybe we go a bit backward. What made you start with, I think you were not alone, to start BrainMates? Sure. Well, um, uh, I started off my career in, uh, in uh, mechanical engineering. Mm -hmm. um, I was originally working, looking at air conditioning control systems mm -hmm. um, and became uh, involved very early on in, in the first dial-up modems that were being used to connect buildings to buildings. Mm -hmm. uh, then got involved with 
the very earliest ISPs in Australia because I was one of the few people who knew what a modem was and how it worked as a result of that. Cool. And so that, that kind of strange career path kind of took me away from engineering and took me into Telstra uh-huh. um, when Telstra Big Pond was first getting up and running and um, worked through both uh, technical support teams, then product improvement teams, then product development teams to develop both dial-up and broadband internet services here in Australia. So for people who not know what Telstra is, Telstra is the biggest carrier, or like the first one, is like the, from the government started side. That's of, right, yeah. yeah. It was, it's the incumbent telecommunications yes. provider. Yeah. Nice. Um, and since then, I, I moved on to work with other telecommunications providers, um, then worked with online security, um, w- working with both Westpac, which is one of the big four banks here in Australia, and also with eBay as their trust and safety product manager for a short while. Mm. Um, so it's in- interesting and diverse experiences there. Um, and then uh, my partner, uh, Adrian Tan, um, set up BrainMates for her own sort of purposes to escape the corporate rat race <laughs> and and do something that was passionate to, to her, which uh, almost coincidentally also was product management. So we took very different career paths but ended up in the same the same uh, kind of product management roles. Nice. Um, and that was 12 years ago when you 12 met? 12 years ago. Adrienne? Uh, no, no, uh, met her at uni. All right. Yep. So it's a, it's a family business. <laughs> Nice. Um, so we've we've actually been working and uh, uh, together have been married for nearly 24 years and have been working in Brainmates for half of that. Impressive, very great. And you're born here in 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 Sydney, or yep, yes, I'm uh, from Australia. Always lived in Australia. Yeah, uh, nice. travelled a fair bit, but haven't actually lived anywhere else yet. If you have to pick a place on the planet, like where's the favourite? place apart from Australia of course Ooh, uh, most recently look I, I love going to Japan uh-huh. Japan is is it completely stretches your mind um, what appears familiar is sort of comforting but there's so much that's unfamiliar and I kind of like that uh, that experience to be stretched and challenged when when I travel yeah um, I do enjoy traveling to the US for different reasons but it's more comfortable um, and the the cultural differences are far more subtle but they're definitely there Nice, nice. I get that. So when I traveled first to Japan, I, I, I didn't like it at all. I, I found it too crowded. I found it very challenging. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, it's I need to have someone to connect with. I just if I have someone in the country to connect and I can get deeper, not just on the mm-hmm. surface as a tourist. That makes it big for me. My, for example, my sister has lived there, and mm. she had a much better access to to the to the society there and. When I hear her stories, they're completely different to mine. It's a countryside of Japan, and mm. I really want to like to travel that. I completely. So I, I think I think one of the things for me is, and it's probably one of the reasons why I enjoy consulting as well, is I love a rapid learning curve. Yeah, that I like um, to be confronted with something that I don't understand, being able to pick away at it a little bit at a time, and then suddenly find those big jumps in understanding that can happen very early on if you have any level of success at learning something. And I find Japan is like that, where you you learn a few words of Japanese and you start to have not great conversations, but you start to have great interactions with people. And even those little little steps can take you a very long way. Yeah. Um, and we kind of find the same thing when we work with clients, that understanding a few small things about their, their product and their market can give us huge leaps into understanding how they uh, some of the challenges that they're facing. Mm-hmm. When we look more into like the last 
two years of brainmates now. What what were the like the steps you were like, oh that were like a key event or something when you when we would visualize the history mm -hmm. now together here on the whiteboard? What what would be the key things that you think this is now brainmates that made it to the new level to where it is now? I think one of the, the key changes that we've seen is the professionalization, if that's a word, of the of the domain of product management. Yeah. The uh, people who've been working product management have uh, often had a hard time trying to articulate the value of their role in organizations. But there is a growing understanding of of the the value that a professional product manager brings to the business. Um, and I think that's been driving our training business. And off the back of the training business, that's been driving uh, the the consulting and contracting business as well. So what would, what would be professionalization for you mean, like in product management? So I've never been a product manager, mm -hmm. even if I help to build the product yep. of around Picablo worldwide. But what is the, what does professional product management includes for you? I think product management as a, or a product manager is almost an emergent role out of an organization. So if you think of, a, of an organization when it's very small, you don't need a product manager. Mm -hmm. um, usually the CEO or the chief engineer will be some role of the first five people in the business who is effectively providing a lot of the product management activities. And to us, the product management activities are really relating to trying to find product market fit to try and find that that magical balance between what the customer wants and um, and what the what the product is that's being offered to them, hmm. um, but as an organisation scales up and gets larger, the it becomes the the as an organisation scales up and gets larger, it becomes harder to scale that role. Hmm. That instead of having one person doing everything, doing the marketing, doing the engineering, uh, communicating with customers there is a need for a deeper specialization. Mm. And so the kind of the professionalization of product management is a, recognize, is, a, uh, is a recognition of some of those more specialized roles across a very broad domain. Um, and we're seeing them coming into play uh, more recently. So this is like then you, when, you, when you scale up, you, you need to have a more like um, um, controlled approach or more like build, measure, learn, where you, where, you, where you measure like the next step and how that is validated, like with, with testing, A-B testing or something that you're on the right track? Or what, what do you mean it's, by... Pro it, this, the scaling is that once you... So for, for a startup, for example, yeah. the build, measure, learn is wonderful to try and validate a product and to validate a, a business model. Yeah. Um, but once you actually have a product in the market, now you have a customer. Yeah. Now you have many customers. Now you have uh, customers and operations and support staff. Now you have market feedback. Now you're still trying to find the next big thing for your for your customer. So the, the, the challenge is how does one person keep doing all of those things? And the reality is that the more that that one person starts to take on, the less effective they become at any of those things. And so the professionalization of, of product management and some of the different specialist roles in there help to identify people who are better at speaking to the marketplace, better at speaking to customers, mm -hmm. um, and others that are better at translating needs from the marketplace into product designs, mm -hmm. and other roles that are better at um, supporting a product and managing a product that's actually in the marketplace. And so you can have one person that recognizes and does all of those things, but it becomes increasingly difficult the more complicated and large uh, the product becomes in the market. A lot of the people who come to the 
um, visual facilitation training are often BAs. Mm-hmm. People who work in organizations work on requirement gatherings and um, they often step up then later into roles, senior BA and product management. So if you're on this career path, what would be the, your advice as like the leading company in, here in Sydney for, for product management uh, or in Australia? What should they do? What should they learn? What should they look at? Really interesting. In fact, the, yeah. when, when you look at the people who, uh, and when I speak to the people in the training courses who attend the, um, the, the course, the, the diversity of their backgrounds is, is staggering. Um, if you, there's, there's really no single pathway into product management. People come from, from the BA path. They come from project management, from marketing, from customer support. But the, probably the common theme is they're coming from a, uh, an operational or action focused background. They're used to doing stuff and getting their hands dirty. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the, uh, important transitional things that a person needs to do, whether it's from a BA role or, or, an, or another sort of quite operation role, is they need to learn to let go of doing things and need to get better at delegating or leading other people to do things. And so it's actually quite a challenging mind shift to, to make a decision and then do something for yourself versus making a decision and then getting somebody else to do it on your behalf. Yeah, I, I think I, I know exactly what you mean. I've, I think I've seen this where the people couldn't step back and it leads basically direct into a burnout just because you, you want to do everything, want to help everyone. Not stepping back then mm. in this term means like you have a lot on your shoulders with managing a full product. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's it's particularly challenging because of the nature of the, the people that or the the nature of the pathway into product management is because you're very good at getting stuff done. Yeah. Um, and then once you're landed with a product manager role, now you're in a leadership role, not a doing role. And it's a it's a difficult mind shift for a lot of people to go from that uh, that doing to leading, mm-hmm. and can make you know it actually represents a an important transition into potentially senior management if people can crack through that 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 mind shift. Yeah. Nice. Any other tips? Like step back, become a leader? Um, as part of that leadership, uh, you need to become one of the, what I like to think of the product manager as the chief storyteller in an organization. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, the, there is so much information that is, uh, needs to be captured and communicated both up to the executive level and, and also through to the operational levels of a business that to try and communicate the details all the time in to to everyone um, becomes very very difficult nice. and so what we see as being the most important almost the, the most important role of the product manager is to understand the customer story understand the the customers they're targeting to understand the problems that they're solving for those customers or the problems those customers have that we hope we can solve for them yeah um, and then to champion that story up and down the organization so to senior management, it's why do we think these are a valuable customer to t- go after? Why is this a problem worth solving? Mm. And then to other parts of the business, once a decision has been made to solve that problem for that customer, is to work out, well, how do we do this most effectively? Um, the challenge we see in many organizations is that that storytelling doesn't work very well. It's captured up in business case documents. It's captured up in big, heavy requirements writing documents. Or in some cases... In the case of uh, sort of agile user stories, it becomes at the sort of at the development end it becomes so fragmented um, into individual little stories that it's hard to see the big picture. Mm. 
And so the, the role of the product manager kind of brings that story together for, for everyone in the organization so that while the product is being built, while the product is being thought about, um, they're able to own the story. And then once the product is ready, they're able to then sell that story through to the sales channels and to the marketing teams to keep that, that consistent vision all the way through. Yeah, a complete makes sense to me. Like just recently, I had an facilitated an inception where I invited the product manager to tell a story in the morning of this workshop. Why are we doing this thing? Mm -hmm. yeah? And before we even start, just to just to have it as a as a as alignment for everyone in the morning. Before we get our hands dirty, it's like what is the story behind um, this? And we put it on a on a like I think we had eight meters of wire, like of wall space in, mm -hmm. in paper. And on, on top of the wall, it was it was basically written down, um, and it makes complete sense for me to have then all the all the ducks lined up nicely, arrowed in into the one key story. Fantastic. Why are we doing this? And maybe we explore this a bit further. How do you see the connection between uh, product management and and visualizing this? What you do in requirements gathering? Like well, I think that the um, again back to that that chief storyteller. Yeah. The the tools that are sort of commonly available to the product manager to tell a story are, are pretty ineffective. And so over the last 10 years, really, we've seen a push away from traditional sort of business cases and requirements writing and a shift uh, sort of following from the Agile manifesto to minimize the amount of documentation required and move closer to conversations. Mm -hmm. um, the, the challenge there is that uh, conversations are ephemeral. They don't last. Yeah. Um, there needs to be some way of capturing that information in a way that is uh, is clear, it's fast, but it's captured. So it's it's then scalable. You can share it with other people without the first person being in the room the whole time. Yeah. And one of the analogies that we draw when we, we talk through the requirements writing process is essentially the same storyboarding process that is done when you create a movie. So you see the, 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 the classic storyboards of the scenes of, of, of great movies that have been pictorially written um, or drawn up either before or after the script's been written, uh, depending on the nature of the, of the, of the author uh, or the screenwriter. But either way, to, to understand the particular scenes and uh, scenarios and situations that the characters are going to be played out in, um, it's, it's visualised beforehand. To, to try and create that that shared shared vision for other parts of the um, the team, and I think it's a real opportunity for for product managers as part of that storytelling to take that big story and be able to chunk it down into smaller and smaller scenes that again can be visualised, because the difference between a customer who is trying to uh, uh, read the newspaper at the beach versus read the newspaper on a bus. Um, the, the subtle difference of where they are and the environment they're in, even though the task might be identical, can significantly change the, um, the type of solution it might offer. And so uh, being able to describe scenarios in terms of where they are, when they are, what they have available to them, um, all of these things that really kind of would be in a requirements document as assumptions and, and givens and other things that are quite textual but often hard to extract, At a, at a glance, mm -hmm. can easily be conveyed or are more easily conveyed through the visual medium. Mm -hmm. I think that's where you know uh, storyboarding and, and, and cartooning and, and uh, visual uh, visualization of that information is inc incredibly powerful. 
do you see a shift in in the organization that they are becoming more visual like that um basically want to have a an answer that my work has some result no I, <laughs> what i mean is like do you see that the the organizations open up to more the stick figure drawings we need today to um, to tell those stories or to, to visualize the different channels, let's say sitting on the beach reading my electronic version of the newspaper versus having this sitting on a couch reading a paper version, different products, same content? I, I actually see it as being quite a challenge. Yeah. I think that when people think about being innovative and almost create a special place for innovation, then different forms of, of uh, visualization sort of seem to make, make sense. But when organizations then switch down to, okay, now let's actually build this product, uh, the formalization uh, gates come down and and cartooning and visualization and stick figures seem to be frowned upon as being uh, too frivolous and silly. Yeah. Um, that is certainly a, a mindset that I'd, I'm trying to push against. Yeah. Any form of visualization is going to be a shortcut to better communication rather than a distraction perceived as being, you know, childish or, uh, or, in, or not valuable. Yeah, I completely. I had two things on that. Like Sunny Brown, like who wrote about Doodle Revolution, mm -hmm. um, but they, uh, she she wrote in that, like um, in her her, in her TED talks, like it's, it's it's seen like doodling on, it's seen as anti-intellectual. So by by using those stick figures, you actually not make a like a solid job. Like it's mm. perceived at that, yeah. It's completely opposite, but it's it's what the people perceive at that. And I, I like the idea of what you just described as the gates come down, or like it's just stop. There people stop from that, and now they need to nail this down. Um, while the the agile manifesto or like the agile approach with a with a story card applies. This is a promise for a conversation in the future. Mm -hmm. Whenever it comes to that to that point that we actually implement this in a solution, we actually meet again and mm. chat what you really need, yep. right? And it might have changed. So I completely um, agree on that. And I think the, the the challenge that I've observed is that while people are going through some of the um, the motions yep. in the agile environment, which you know the the underlying belief and the philosophy of agile is incredibly powerful, but often the practices um, go back into almost robot mode, and we have we I have a card, I've read the card, probably processed the card. Yeah. Um, but the underlying human conversations actually get left aside. They're actually the hard work. And because they're hard work, they often become um, delayed or, or aren't, aren't done effectively. And so I think the, the opportunity to visualize things more effectively is a way of capturing that storytelling piece in a way that is, um, provides more detail, yet has also captured it for a retelling over and over again. In the same way that you know we can look at cave paintings um, that are you know thousands of years old and hear the story, even though the people who wrote them were uh, are long dead and gone, um, the conversations they had we will never hear, but the stories that they've told visually are here forever, and I think that's really the the difference between you know documents that nobody reads the verbal stories that nobody hears after they've been stated. The the visualization, I think, is an opportunity for businesses to have something which actually meets the demands of of, of modern business to accelerate the process um, without, um, what's the word, it, to accelerate the process without compromising the process. Mm -hmm. 
And I think certainly when we look at our product management processes, we've tried to find ways of, of finding that acceleration without compromising the quality of, of thinking that goes into uh, a lot of the, the work that product managers do. Mm-hmm. So sadly, our job is not done. We need to run our trainings and product management like you do, and uh, I need to teach visual still. Mm-hmm. Looking forward, I know that you run a conference this mm-hmm. year, uh, Leading the Product, Lead the Product? Absolutely. Yes, it's called Leading the Product. Can you tell, talk a bit about that? And so, again, I've tried to put myself in the role of, of my, like, I think, main listeners, like mm-hmm. BAs and, yep. and lead, Dev Lead, and like people who use visualization, facilitators, coaches. Why should I come to this conference? For us, the the conference is a great opportunity for people who often feel quite isolated and alone um, to to get together and find their tribe. Uh, the building on that theme of the professionalization of the role and finding other people who are not just sort of stumbling into the job um, or are aspiring to be in the job. Um, we see the leading the product conference as a way of kind of creating a step change in the perception of product management and the and the supporting roles that are required to do good product management as well. We see it as a step change to change it from being uh, just a an operational function and to reinforce the fact that product management is a leadership function in an organisation. It's not the CEO of the business. It's often referred to as the CEO of the product But often that CEO of the product role doesn't have a lot of teeth. Mm. The only way the product manager can really be an effective leader is to tell a better story than, than exists elsewhere in the marketplace. So we see the Leading the Product Conference as a great way of, of reinforcing that leadership function. And we have speakers from um, around Australia, around the world, Uh, so we've got about a 50-50 split of international and local speakers, nice. yep. 50-50 split of men and women, and a 50-50 split of, of sort of um, digital and, and physical uh, products. So it's a very diverse range of different speakers, um, which we've s- deliberately selected for that diversity. So it's not just how to create a wireframe eight times through the day. There's lots of different speakers from, um, from different backgrounds. Looking forward to the conference, which talk are you personally like interested to hear like, something that inspires you that that you think I, I want to hear about that it's great that he that this guy comes around well probably the the, the most interesting one um, that we that that uh, we've got at the moment who both conferences is Dan Olson mm-hmm. so Dan Olson is the author of the lean product playbook mm-hmm. and he's it's kind of like he's written the book I wanted to write <laughs> um, there's a lot of really valuable yeah, nice. information there which is tying together um, Uh, elements of visualization, but uh, his um, his book is adapting uh, lean startup principles, lean manufacturing principles, and trying to find again the uh, the core elements that will help organizations accelerate their product thinking, both in product lifecycle management, also bringing out new ideas to to the marketplace, without tying them down to the sort of the more traditional heavy documentation approaches. I try not to, to, to blend you know, sort of waterfall versus agile as being good versus bad um, because both of them can suffer from poor implementation. Mm. Um, what, what Dan's talk uh, will be about is uh, really how do you accelerate your product management thinking um, regardless of what method you're using mm. uh, and, and make it more effective for the business. 
I forgot to ask, when is the conference? Uh, the So the conferences are coming up in October. Um, the Melbourne conference is on October the 20th. And then the following week, we have the, the same conference uh, in Sydney on the 25th. Nice. All right. Um, is there any question I should have asked you that I didn't ask you? You think, I want to share one thing. This is important. No, I think the, I think the, the, the idea of visualization is really important and the idea of elevating the role of product management in, in people's perception yeah. um, is really important. I think we, we see product management as a fundamental function in any organization, whether there is a product manager there or not. Somebody is doing it. And to be able to call that out and recognize it and see it as being, and essentially to, uh, to train it, to, to give it airplay and make sure that the people who are doing it haven't just made it up as they're going along, um, I think for us is a really important you know, driver for our business. Nick, thank you very much for coming around to Speak Up Radio. It's been a pleasure. Have a great afternoon and yeah, see you in October, hopefully. Fantastic. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks again for listening to this episode. If you found the idea of becoming the chief storyteller in an organization quite interesting, then I have something for you. We will run a visual storytelling class at the end of the year in Melbourne. Check out my website marcelvanhof.com for that. And if you're in Europe, the same classes visual storytelling runs there. It's part of the Picablo curriculum. It's picablo.com. B-I-K-A-B-L-O.com. Otherwise, I hope we see you next time. Please give us a thumbs up, give us a rating and share this episode with your friends.